You're listening to Experts in Their Field, a podcast from the Agricultural Science Association, generously sponsored by Ulster Bank. Hello, listeners. My name is Anne Marie Butler, and I'm the president of the Agricultural Science Association. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode eight in our podcast series, Experts in Their Field. In this episode, Council Member Una Sinnott was delighted to catch up with Dara McCullough of Elm Grove Farm. Operating a mixed enterprise farm in County Meath, Dara is also known as a broadcaster, columnist and award-winning author. In this podcast, Una chats with Dara about activity on the home farm, the farm's response to recent market changes, and Dara shares his thoughts and insights on agriculture and systems moving forward. On behalf of ASA, we thank Dara for his involvement and we wish him and his family every best wish for the future. Hello, my name is Una Sinnott. I'm an ASA Council member and for our series of podcasts entitled Experts in Their Field, I'm actually interviewing a man now who's an expert in many fields, Mr. Dara McCullough. How are you? Very good, Una. Lovely to join you on this. Thanks very much, Dara. It's a real pleasure. On that note, um, could you bring us to Elm Grove Farm with your words and tell us what your farm looks like at the moment? Sure. Uh, my main business is growing and selling daffodil flowers and bulbs. And when you mention that to anyone, they tend to swoon, especially the further removed they are from agriculture, the nicer they think it's going to be. But of course, the reality, as uh, most people know, uh, when you're mucking around on a farm day to day is uh, a lot less romantic. And of course, if I walk out into my field of daffodils and see them all in full bloom, I'm going to start crying into my cornflakes because mm-hmm. I need to harvest those uh, flowers when they're still in a tight bud. And uh, because in actual fact, not only do we supply them to sell them direct here from the farm and the farm shop, but we also and sell them online and we sell them to local flowers, but sell them to national, uh, you know, retailers, but also export them into Holland and from Holland, they get trucked to places like Poland. So, you know, a flower is picked here today. It could be in a fridge for a day or two before we have enough picked. And then it gets put in a truck, um, trucked over to Holland. It could be a week, it could be two weeks before that flower hits a vase. Um, so it has to be in this real tight little asparagus-like form um, so that it still has vase life. I'm sorry, that's a very long-winded way of explaining that my fields aren't in full bloom. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Thanks, Doris. So exactly, um, it's, a, it's a long process. And I suppose, you know, some people know you from the television or from the newspaper or from the flower industry and uh, your farming life. And of course, you're also an award-winning author. So we've a lot to discuss, Dara. Um, so maybe um, could you tell us what your week looks like at the moment? And then we can dive into each section of your life. <laughs> uh, my week tends to be a mess. <laughs> um, I, I get up each morning with no particular definitive plan um, and often think naively that I don't have much on today and then the day just takes off and the business here at home I I spend five days a week at least working on the farm and managing the farm and right now we employ about 30 people um so my job is basically office 
based uh, staring spreadsheets, shouting down the phone at people or uh, listening to people shout down the phone at me. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, all the actual farm work, everybody else makes it happen. Um, I'm lucky to have a great team here. And uh, most of the workforce is Romanian. Um, so all the picking, all the packing of the flowers is done uh, by Romanian staff who've been with me for well over 10 years now. Um, and then I've uh, kind of, because I've delved into internet sales in the last 12 months, uh, I've had to beef up my admin um, capacity. So uh, I have two Irish people working with me in the office. Actually, another uh, former agricultural science graduate from UCD, Colin McCullen, works uh, side by side with me. And so it's great to have that uh, kind of hands-on agricultural training, I suppose, sitting there beside you in the office so that, you know, when the wrong load of fertilizer lands in your yard, as happens, or there's a suggestion that it's going to be a week late, he gets it. He understands why that is serious. We need it out now. The weather window is now. Let's go. Let's go. So um, getting back to my my week, um, I mean, each week there is some element of the media in there kind of crowbarred in around the, the margins. So for example, um, this weekend, I'll be doing a little bit with uh, Countrywide on the radio. I write a column every week uh, for the Farming Independent. Um, it's in the paper on Tuesday, it's written, you know, the Thursday or Friday before. I mean, I've ended up writing the column while sitting in the passenger seat in a van on my way to a market when, you know, we're tearing up the road to deliver flowers. Uh, it gets written on trains, it gets written in airports, um, it gets written anywhere uh, I can get. What kind uh, of inspires you? Sorry, Dara, what inspires you to create your weekly piece for the independent? How, how do you think of your content? Uh, generally, uh, it's a little bit like uh, I describe it as being match fit. And um, when you're used to doing something, uh, it comes relatively natural to you. Uh, it's like milking a cow. If you you know, you put even the likes of me back in a parlor, I'd be fumbling and getting my finger stuck in a cluster and fumbling around with pipes. Um, you put somebody in a tractor who's not used to it, you know, they might even struggle to figure out how to start the thing. Um, I, as I go through my working week, I'm all the time thinking, oh yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if there's an angle on that, you know, and especially if something goes wrong around here, <laughs> it's always a great starting point for, uh, you know, this week I had a disaster and straight away you've got the reader's uh, attention. I try to take, uh, you know, the micro, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff that happens in rural Ireland, in farmers' lives, and develop it out. The ideal column is something that starts with, you know, I was trying to buy fertilizer the other day and nearly choked me cornflakes when I realized the price had gone up by 100 euros a tonne. And then that develops into a piece about, you know, a, a commodity boom or shortage or the cost of shipping stuff around the world in the middle of COVID. So to try and go from the micro to the macro, um, because at the end of the day, if I'm writing only for a farmer readership, um, I'm really ghettoizing my content to a pretty small audience, relatively speaking. It's one of the things that um, a lot of people... A lot of farmers, I don't think fully appreciate about things like 
Ear to the Ground and uh, Country File on the BBC, 90 plus percent of the audience that sits down to watch those programmes every week and indeed Country File and RT Radio 1 are non-farmers. Um, so, you know, farmers get frustrated when they hear the likes of me explaining in, um, you know, the one, two, three of milking a cow or why uh, we have to make silent. And they're kind of going, tell us something we don't know, you know, show us the, the real good stuff that we're interested in finding out about. But there isn't an audience to learn about how to make silent. There's an audience out there who is interested in uh, it up to why they do it and the impact it's having on the environment that the rest of the population live in. Very good. So I suppose, I suppose your hands-on experience as a farmer plays into your, your content creation with Ear to the Ground and the Farming Independent. Has your, has your opinion or your views ever clashed with what you've had to broadcast? All the time. <laughs> I mean, um, that is the nature of editorials you when you are editorializing you are making multiple layer on layer of decisions thinking about is this message true and of course truth is a matter of perception so you know i as a farmer firmly believe that what i do on my farm isn't uh wrecking the planet um you know, I firmly believe that putting cows and calf and iron to produce milk is not wantonly uh, ignoring the issue of climate change because, you know, I believe that we can't produce milk any better anywhere else on the planet and somebody is going to produce it. So why don't we? Um, but, you know, flip that on its head and come at it from a different angle. Um, all the environmentalists that love to pile on the likes of me on Twitter uh, week after week um, will say, well, Dara, look, you know, we've had a 40% increase in the number of cows in this country. Do we really need that? Is the Irish economy that dependent on uh, the earnings from the dairy sector? Is there more environmentally friendly uh, careers and jobs that we can employ our population in? And so, you know, uh, that is the debate that rages over the ears of the round editorial table. Um, that is the debate that rages sometimes quietly and furiously behind the camera uh, when we're out um, on set or out on a farm. But look, at the end of the day, um, you've got to trust your judgment. I've been going to farms for more than 20 years. A great privilege, I should add, um, you know, since the day I finished up my uh, oral uh, exams in, in UCD, literally, I went out for pints that night and arrived in, ear, uh, not in Earth Around, in the RT radio centre the next day with a big head in me, totally clueless about what I was letting myself in for. But um, one of the things that has stood to me over time is that um, I have a bit of a brass neck in me. Um, I, I, uh, if I fail, I'll get up and try again. And, you know, uh, throughout everything, whether it's farming or in media um, and anything in life, you'll get criticised, you'll get challenged. That's the gig. Um, it, it, you know, what you're doing wouldn't count if uh, you weren't being challenged and occasionally criticised. So uh, I've learned to take it in my stride most of the time. 
Well, Dara, you're, I suppose, one of a kind almost, or just kind of a few, I'd imagine, in the RTE circle who is a farmer. And, you know, speaking about agricultural terms on the television, do you feel an onus or a responsibility as that kind of one farmer that is on television to speak on behalf of farmers in Ireland? Do you feel responsible on that accord? Uh, I don't feel responsible. I mean, I'll be dropped from ear to the ground as quick as the next fella. Yeah. Um, like, you know, graveyards are full of indispensable reporters. Um, and uh, so, you know, the day that I think that, uh, you know, I'm carrying the mantle for Irish agriculture solely on my shoulders and, um, you know, uh, Irish media landscape would never be the same without me is the day I'm, I'm done for. Um, so I don't think I can afford to stand up there and think solely from a farmer point of view. The, however, uh, it's only natural that my default setting is, well, yeah, um, how would I feel about that on my farm? Um, so uh, I think it is a shame that, you know, that when I joined RT first, um, Joe Murray had just retired, who was an ag grad, uh, graduate. Eric Donald ha was in about another year or two before he headed off to the greener pastures of a certain Chagask. Um, uh, PJ Nolan, who was another ag grad, um, had finished up a few years before me. And, um, and so then I was the ag grad. I don't think there's been a single ag graduate uh, hired by RTE. You may be able to prove me wrong in this, but I, I can't think of anyone um, that's been hired by RTE or any broadcaster in um in the last 20 years maybe there is but um yeah uh, so i mean those those voices that come from a genuine place in in farming are, are rare and important but we've also got to be super careful and i suppose like i have maybe stupidly kind of stuck my neck out i feel like i'm sticking my neck out more often amongst farmers than i am amongst the general public um, in other words, that I feel that I'm more often challenging farmers about um, their perceptions and their beliefs than I am about the general public. Um, so, for example, you know, calling out farm organisations when they come out with stupid stuff um, or calling out farmers when they come out with stupid stuff, because you know what, they've been let away with a lot over the years. Um, you know, we, we were only one step removed from the land as a kind of a, as a, a country. And so farming is, we're far more agricultural, even though we're mainly urban at this stage, if you look at the numbers, but relatively speaking, we're a much more agricultural country still than our nearest neighbours. So uh, farmers have generally been given a, a free ride up until recently, I think. I think there's been a definite change in the last 10 years and it's kind of accelerating. Um, and it's all been driven by the, cli the, the climate change, the environmental agenda. Um, and I don't say that in, in a pejorative or judgmental way when I say environmental agenda. I mean that, you know, the, there's real issues out there and farmers 
uh, farmers are some of the key influencers, if not the key influencers, in how our environment is and the health of our environment. So not only uh, can they be the biggest polluters, they can also be the biggest solution to the issues out there. You know, there has been a lot of change on the ground as well, you know, especially in the last few years. Talking about dairy expansion and I suppose, you know, the future of, a, of someone knowing a full-time beef farmer, what are your biggest um, worries for the industry? And like, what do you think the whole Irish agricultural industry will look like in a few years? Oh, cheapers, that's a nice, easy one, Una. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> uh, biggest worries. Um, well, there's a whole, I mean, depends on the day of the week, doesn't it? I mean, like you get up one day and there's reports all over the radio and television about that, um, you know, Ireland emissions are going off the chart or they're still rising or our water quality is still decreasing. And um, it's a bit it's a bit disheartening, isn't it? Because, you know, farmers have gone to such lengths. And I think there's been massive improvements in terms of, you know, how farmers uh, operate their operations in terms of their knowledge about how they go in terms of my own knowledge about what we do here. Um, and, and but that's the goalposts are constantly shifting on that, aren't they? I mean, you, you, you kind of figure out one thing, buffer zones, or you figure out about nitrogen eaching, or you figure about overwinter plowing, and then suddenly, you know, that's all, you know, that's last year's stuff. Uh, now we're concentrating on runoff and laneways and um, uh, emissions from, from per kilo of milk or meat. Um, the environment, I think, is the number one issue and concern, I think, for anybody who thinks a lot about agriculture. Um, so, you know, on one hand, the, the predominant concern amongst farmers and the farming community and the agriculture community was how do we make a living? How do we make a decent living? How do we make a better living? And that's what I get up every day thinking about as well. And I go to bed off to sleep at night thinking about it as well. Um, but when you step aside from those day-to-day -day concerns about, you know, maximizing the profitability of what you're doing on your farm, you've also got to think about you know, well, this might be profitable what I'm doing at the moment, but is it still going to be here? Am I still going to be allowed to do this in 10 or 20 years time? And um, so, you know, the, I think the biggest concern that I have for agriculture is how do we optimize the sustainability of what we do? How do we minimize the impact? How do we minimize the carbon footprint? How do we minimize emissions? How do we minimize runoff? Um, how do we protect uh, water bodies around our farms? And it's, I mean, if I was a farmer listening to me right now, I'd be going, yawn. I mean, seriously, I, I have people preaching about this to me all day, every day. I'm sick of it. I just want to get on and get out there and farm. And that's an entirely understandable and reasonable point of view. But it doesn't get over the problem. Um, I think, you know, uh, if you go out and into your farm every day, Spark all those environmental uh, concerns and issues and challenges. You're going to run yourself down a cul-de-sac very quickly. Talking about your your own farm, I suppose you know when did the whole floral farmer kind of role come into your life? 
and farm diversification even you know when did it begin for you yeah thanks that's easier <laughs> um although you might be sorry you asked that question too um the uh when did i get into flower farming i came home i graduated from ucd ag science in 1999 um back in the last century and uh, i came home to work eight days a week and i was mad about breeding cows and Holsteins and I'd spent a year working or a couple of months working on a real fancy Holstein farm, pedigree Holstein farm in the US during my professional work experience and thought I was going to do the difficult and all on Holstein breeding. Uh, fast forward 10 years to 2009, I was going broke. Um, this is the whistle stop tour now. Um, I had, uh, I got sick of milking cows. Um, not to put too fine a point on it, I was sick of that. We didn't have a good structure here on the farm where you got um time off and you could step away from or liquid milk and the cows had to be milked all year, every week, every weekend. And I, the idea of growing crops that need to be babysat at the weekends appealed to me so um i got stuck into growing onions here because we were the largest onion grower in the country and promptly uh, made a hames of it uh, hit a couple of bad years lost a pile of money um and uh basically uh hit a wall hit a financial wall just before the financial crash happened and um at the same time i was getting lots of a lovely generous offers to go and work full-time in the media so that's kind of what I did um, and uh, licked my wounds and uh, kind of figured out what was next what I was I was tremendously lucky we've a wonderful farm here on the Mead Coast lovely light land and um, perfect for growing onions my dad had realized uh, back in the late 90s that and um, the same kit and the same land uh, was needed for growing daffodils and daffodils all the work happens with daffodils at different times of the year from the work that is involved in growing onions so he thought this would be a nice bolt-on enterprise and um, when I took over he was of the opinion that it was a waste of time he hadn't made much money out of the, the daffodils and I was better off getting rid of them and you know, that thought did actually cross my mind. But then I said, you know what, maybe, maybe we can make a few bob out of it. So we started picking the daffodils. We had started growing daffodils, believe it or not, with no intention of ever picking a flower because the labour involved in that is bananas um, and you can't get Irish people to do it. And uh, uh, most farmers, including my dad, don't want to have to get into managing teams of labour and, you know, uh, figuring out how to communicate with people in other languages and organizing PPSs for them and accommodation for them and making sure they have access to healthcare and basically running a crash. Yeah. Um, that's not most farmers' uh, concept of managing a farm. However, um, I, I figured I was just, if there was a few bobs to be made out of it, why not give it a go? So we started picking. Uh, daft of flowers for a little and um, 
we never stopped. Um, and after about five or 10 years of growing daffodils, then I realized, you know what, that we do a pretty good job of growing daffodils. We um, sell the flowers all over Europe. We come in in the summertime, we lift the bulbs, we export them uh, to Holland, we sell them all over Ireland. But um, we've got these massive peaks and troughs of labor requirements. And I have all the kit here, fridges and uh, facilities, pack houses, land. Um, why aren't we growing other flowers that we could utilize this labor pool at other times of the year and, you know, utilize our roots to market? So then we got into uh, sunflowers, gladiola, lily, started putting up polytunnels, um, growing sweet william, um, sweet pea, dahlias, and the list goes on and on and on. So I have gone down uh, the floral rabbit hole, so to speak. And, um, and one thing has led to another so you know 12 months ago um we had uh, i just had these two new tunnels bursting into bloom and um, just as the first lockdown hit and nowhere to go with the flowers and uh, rather than crying into my tea i decided you know i'll put up a tweet and go you know offer to deliver these flowers anywhere in the country for 20 euros with no idea not even how to take a credit card payment across the phone um got picked up by the Irish Times, um, which in turn was picked up by Morning Ireland and the Ryan Tuberty Show. And the phone here in the office just blew up um, with the inquiries. Uh, the following weekend, we decided, oh my God, we were going to have to get uh, a website called I, I was drowning in post-its and I'm putting panel all the calls that were coming in. So I put up a website and... Um, 12 months later, we've done nearly 200,000 euros worth of business through a website. Um, wow. And uh, we are now, uh, it's now, a, I think it's going to be a key channel for the farm business going forward. And it's pretty exciting. It's been massively challenging. A whole new set of um, skills and requirements. And that's one of the things that bothers me a little bit about, you know, um, you have people come and go, why don't farmers diversify more? You know, why don't they do what you do, Dara, and, you know, grow all these wonderful things and sell them online and go to farmers markets and all the rest of it? Why don't they? Because it can be a humongous pain and you know what? And it's a whole, like, I had my head melted for the last 12 months trying to get my head around how to link Facebook business page with Instagram and how to generate pixels and track um, consumer movement from my website and figure out where the money was being spent and then hire people to be able to be answer the phone and deal with courier companies and logistics. And it's, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. So do you ever miss the cows, Dara? <laughs> <laughs> well, funny enough, um, I... I tried to keep my finger in lots of pies. And um, so uh, about five years ago, when quotas uh, ceased, um, we got into partnership um, with our neighbours on a dairy herd. Um, and so we're very lucky to our immediate neighbour, our excellent uh, farmers, uh, Joe Leonard um, and his brother Matt and the team over there. And uh, Joe was milking about 350 cows at the time and he wanted to expand. And we had land that he could walk his milking herd to. And a lot of them just doing a straight lease and taking the money. Um, I'm interested in dairying. And we said, hey, listen, 
could we have a slice of the action? Uh, no, no, please God, no. Um, <laughs> and uh, but we eventually talked him around it, and uh, so now there's a herd of six hundred cows, and dairy cows gone through a fifty-four unit uh, rotary parlor. I barely darkened the door of the place um, from one end of the month to the next because Joe does a brilliant job managing it. But um, I have no regrets about um, putting my money into it. Um, so on a very small slice of a large pie and uh, dairying, dairying is a fantastic business to be in. It's been really, really good to Irish uh, farmers for the last 10 years, at least. I know there was bad years, the beast from the East, 2016, there was a price um, dip. But man, uh, when you look, average it all out, and you look at the returns out of a dairy, well-run dairy enterprise over the last 10 years, nothing comes within an acid drawer of it. Um, so, it's a fantastic business to be involved in. And if we can square the emission circle on, um, on dairy in here, we're home and host. You know, when you talk about trading hundreds of thousands of euros online, it sounds terribly impressive. Mm. Actually, the margins are razor thin in it. Um, and especially when you are setting up a business. I... I We've tried lots of things here over the years. Um, you know, we, we set up a turkey enterprise there a couple of years ago. We started selling Christmas trees a couple of years ago. Um, we set, we've hens here on the farm. Um, and uh, any enterprise I've ever set up, now this may be a reflection of my inability to manage a business but any enterprise i've ever set up i've never made a red cent out of it in the first year and more often than not not much out of it the second or third year either um but that's that's farming it's a long-term game and if if you're in it for short-term term gains you you have no hope yes so which way is your farm split at the moment are between acreage to flowers so there's about 100 acres give or take um, under flowers there's about 150 acres 180 acres under winter cereals at the moment so oats and winter wheat um, there is about 120 acres under grass for the cows um, I have two donkeys lolling around in the field outside the office here this is my little I'm talking to you from my uh, I got a, a second hand caravan <laughs> I'm laughing because um, you know, 12 months ago, lockdown hit and uh, there was two of us in a little um, 12 foot by 10 foot border cabin. And of course, everyone started talking about social distancing and having separate segregated working areas. And like for a week or two, I moved out into a, I parked a van outside the office and Colin was inside the office and I was shouting from the van and he was inside. It was just ridiculous. Um, so I um being a scab um i basically you know um channeled my inner farmer and said no i'm not spending money now on a big office and um, surely to god we can pick up a caravan down there in the local caravan park then betting sound and we did pick up a caravan for about 1700 euros and i thought this was a uh, value at twice the price brought it up here put it into position only then did the spending start on it, pulling stuff out, painting it and putting in new lino, putting in new lights. 
and we're just after spending six months with all the little, every little electric heater we could put our hands on burning its way through kilowatts of electricity trying to keep the bicycles out uh, all winter but um it's a grand space how did i get talking to you about um, this um, yeah outside the window here my uh, two turkeys they hang out in a bit of glass permanent pasture um, that the Department of Agriculture currently have a letter in with me querying whether it is permanent pasture and whether I have a grazing enterprise. And of course, two donkeys apparently don't equate to a grazing enterprise. And neither does a flock of bronze turkeys that come in and reside there for five months every year. This is the kind of nonsense uh, red tape that farmers will be only too familiar with. And, you know, Every time a letter comes in with another rigmarole of, you know, here's something we're going to have to make our case about and fight with the department on, part of me is gone groaning. The other part of me is gone, yep, I'll make a column. Um, so exactly. it, it's that. Yeah, <laughs> they play no, well but, together, Darren, don't they? Yeah, it's not out of, uh, it's not out, you know, to get the department or we're at loggerheads or anything like that. This is the stuff that farmers are wrestling with day in, day out. And, you know, um, they want to be able to relate to that. They, it's, I suppose it's uh, heartwarming, isn't the, the term, but maybe uh, they feel like they aren't um, the only loser in the village uh, when they read about me and all my travails and challenges that I put myself through here on a week-to-week -week basis. So... Uh, perhaps uh, I think I get, I get posts, you know, I get handwritten letters from people all over the country. Um, you know, uh, often complimentary, sometimes critical, but even the most critical of them, they're, I, I think they're coming from the right place. They're annoyed with me because I've missed some crucial issue in their mind, or they're annoyed with me because... I feel I've been too flippant about something that has uh, been very serious for them. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted. I, delighted is the wrong word, but I take a lot of encouragement from the fact that people um, connect, connect and, and, and um, uh, take what I put in the paper so seriously, but it, it, it's important to them. So speaking of connection, Dara, between all the stories, I suppose, you know, you've been with Ear to the Ground in particular for 18 years, <laughs> I think. Um, has there been any, I suppose, big storyline that really has connected with you and, you know, either it's inspired you in some way or like that you've always thought about or has there ever been a big story that you've followed up on personally after recording or anything like that? Yeah. Um, my my initial response to that is not really. Um, you know, uh, if uh, I'm a I'm a part time uh, reporter, so um, I spend most of my time on the farm. So um, when I go out record for years around, it's it's like a, a day out for me and a busman's holiday. Uh, if you talk to reporters on the beach, you know, who are doing it day in, day out, and I, I've been that soldier, it's a treadmill, you know, and um, you, you do one story and, you know, an hour or a day later, that's it. It's yesterday's story and you're moving on. Um, and do stories stick with you? Occasionally they do. I mean, 
when I think back to the season just gone by and near to the ground, um, one of the stories that I really, uh, I would say enjoyed is probably the wrong word, but really resonated with me was um, a farmer in Galway who was the survivor of the mother and baby home over there in Tomb. And, you know, like everybody in the country, I'd heard about mother and baby homes, but never had firsthand kind of... Uh, interaction with anything about it or from it and to hear pj was a wonderful character he he had no malice or bitterness in him and yet he was a man who was perfectly entitled to feel um hard done by by the hand he was dealt with in life so you know those stories are very life affirming really um you know it's uh heartwarming to meet people and experience the goodness in in people and the resilience in people very good Sarah and now not to forget I suppose just about your award-winning book um and the um the great Irish farm book this Christmas was featured under many trees so um I suppose maybe just a quick reference to that and whether there's going to be a sequel <laughs> yeah it's funny I I um it's almost like my alter ego because you know I can be there growling about um, grain prices or um, giving out about the IFA or challenging farmers on their attitudes to the environment or anything else. And then nice fluffy Dara comes out and has this, um, you know, book that's aimed at kids and isn't it gorgeous and cute and all the rest of it. Look, truth be told, I was uh, really lucky. Uh, Gil literally sent me an email Dropped into the um, inbox one day. Hi, um, Gil Pub Deirdre from Gil Publishers here, wondering if you're interested in um, working with us on a concept we have for a farm book. And I replied back to her, "When will we meet?" And uh, off we went. And uh, I suppose I was lucky again. I I go back to that terminology. I I've, match fit I can horse out a thousand words um in a diffy um on most subjects in farming provided it doesn't get too technical so I was perfectly qualified to write this book um from a child's perspective uh you know it was basically farming light little a little bit of everything and it was a real pleasure to work with I had a wonderful um, illustrator called Sally Caldwell who brought the whole thing to life. Um, like as my wife will um, attest to, I bore the pants off people talking about farming all day and all night. But it's all the people that I work with that make it actually digestible. So Sally did a wonderful job illustrating it all. And we just seem to, again, be in the right place at the right time. You know, it was released during COVID. There was a great appetite for books out there and for Irish and support local and it featured on the Lake Lake Toy Show and it won um, one of the awards in the um, Post uh, National Book Awards and off we went. So, you know, it was just one of those uh, waves that happened to be passing me by and I jumped on and held on for dear life. Brilliant, Sarah. And are, are there any other like life ambitions that are kind of boxes that need to be ticked that you maybe you don't realise yet? But is there any that you do have in your mind where you're thinking, oh, that's another thing I'd love to do? Every day I get up and hope I'll be able to make a decent job at this farm finally, sooner or later. Um, 
and uh, every day I go to bed going, yeah, you know, we still need to do that bit better. Um, what boxes? I, I mean, right now, my whole focus is on trying to uh, get this online business, um, uh, www.elmgrowfarm.ie. There's the plug. Um, up and go and, and uh, get it viable. Um, but I'm all the time, the head is whirring about, you know, what else can we do? Um, the turkey enterprise I'm running the rule over um, it's probably I, I think my suspicion is it's going to be more profitable to scale up a hen unit than a turkey unit, they're both fairly micro at the moment, we were putting our toe in the water but because turkeys only revs up for one time a year basically at Christmas it's hard to a to provide sustainable a level kind of amount of employment for somebody year round on it and be to cover all the overheads in that small period of the year you know um I, yeah and, and I, I suppose the point i'm trying to make is that you know you don't have to it's not geniuses that run businesses and you don't have to be brilliant or anything like that you just have to keep kind of keep turning up and keep having an open mind and be open to the possibility of failing and getting up and trying again. Well, I'd love to visit sometime, Dara. So please, God, and I'm sure all the listeners would as well, perhaps. So thanks so much, Dara, for a lovely chat. Yeah, you're more than welcome. It's been a real pleasure.